Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's October 2015. Sergio Perez still can't believe that he'll be driving in the first Mexican Formula One event in over 21 years. Only the sixth native-born Mexican driver in Formula One history, Perez beams with pride as he watches his competitors practice at the famed Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in Mexico City. The track is named after Perez's heroes, Ricardo and Pedro Rodriguez the first Mexican drivers in Formula One history. As Perez himself put it, quote, Pedro and Ricardo Rodriguez are idols for everyone who is interested in motorsports in Mexico. It is an honor to follow in the footsteps of these fantastic drivers and to show the world that they are far from forgotten. It made sense that the first Formula One event in Mexico in two decades would take place at the circuit named after these brothers. After all, they were the first ones who sacrificed so much to make sure the stuffy world of Formula One racing not only noticed Mexico, but respected it. Who are Pedro and Ricardo Rodriguez? What impact do they have on motorsports in Mexico? And is being fearless really a good quality for a race car driver or indicative of future disaster? Today on Pass Gas, it's a story of the fearless Rodriguez brothers. Welcome to the show. Uh, my name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my co-hosts. This week, I got Joe Weber. Uh, slime off a slug's back, baby. Slime off a slug's back, indeed. Poignant words for times like these. Uh, <laughs> and uh, next to me mm-hmm. is a special guest on the show. Yeah. We've never actually... Did, you've been on the show before, but only mm-hmm. when I've been gone. So this uh, will be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we've never we've never done it before. I don't think so. Oh wow! Anyway, that That's voice cool. you hear, that soothing. Oh, this is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> the soothing voice you hear, Jeremiah Burton, yeah, back in the studio. I'm back in it, baby. That Papa don't preach. Nice. That's a good. <laughs> That's tag, a dude. great one. That's awesome. James I've... still hasn't found as good of a tagline as that, and he's been on it for four years. Dude, you really put me on a bind when you said that slime thing. I was like, oh dang, I got better bring the heat. Slime one's did. pretty good, right? Slime, slime is pretty. Good. Do you get yeah. a new one every time? No, that one. That's from my F boy days. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Cool. Wow. Well, 
Yeah, I'm going to keep it with this Papa Don't Preach. That's pretty nice. good, dude. And then pretty... I'm going to just preach because I don't listen to anything I say. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> you know, I just came back from Mexico. Oh, yeah. Why don't you tell us about that, Joe? I, w- I went to Puerto Vallarta, or actually this little town called Bucerias, right above Puerto Vallarta. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to get so many good tacos. I'm going to, you know, like immerse myself in the culture and stuff. Bucerias is a Canadian expat town. <laughs> we were the youngest people uh, around. Hell yeah. And I was, you know, I was like trying desperately to find uh, just a little hole in the wall bar. I could have a mezcal and a taco and stuff. And I found this spot and I was like, yeah, this is perfect. Like off the beaten path, walk in and there's curling and hockey on the TV. <laughs> and they got chicken fingers on the menu. I'm like, <laughs> a little slice of heaven. That's yeah. funny, I love all those things, but you know, like you go to uh, Mexico for oh, a reason. Got the poutine down there, eh? Oh, <laughs> can you do a, a Canadian Mexican accent? Oh, oh. that's hard. <laughs> that's like, when, when you I don't a, want to even attempt to no, try no, that. It's going to be a potential for yeah. disaster. Yeah. yeah. So that's let's. Like, not try that. When you hear of like Mel Blank doing Bugs Bunny doing an impression of Elmer Fudd, you're like, mm-hmm. that's insane. There's layers How do to you? it. Yeah. 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 Oh, I won't try it, but uh, uh, that sounds fun. <laughs> I can imagine it. I can imagine it right it's now. Good. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about these guys. Very, very influential figures. We've mentioned them before. I feel like in like five previous episodes, I've like alluded to these guys being like, we've done an episode on these guys before. Yeah. And uh, to my surprise, we've actually not dedicated a whole episode to the Rodriguez brothers. They pop um, up in a lot of old up. Formula One episodes. Yeah. Uh, I think we've probably dedicated a section of a story to them. And that's probably what I'm remembering when I say that. Uh, but yes, here it is. Here's the Rodriguez brothers episode that we've been waiting so long for. This is a good story. Yeah. Uh, Starting right now. The Rodriguez brothers were only two years apart. Pedro was born in 1940 and Ricardo in 42. Though they grew up in a very wealthy and politically connected family in Mexico City, the boys didn't quite fit the stereotype of snobby little rich kids. For example, from a young age, they both had a bull in a china shop demeanor, an aggressive play style they inherited from their father, Pedro Natalio, at one point in his life was a motorcycle acrobatics enthusiast, not a racing guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are what? you a are you a, a motorcycle acrobatics uh enthusiast? I'm Have just you ever trying tried? to think uh in that period of time what that would entail. Is that like doing a uh like a wall of death? Yeah, maybe a wall of death or like the circle drum thing. Maybe. Or like doing handstands on a bike, I would probably. imagine. Just prob- like standing on the handlebars, that yeah. sort of thing. And a plane comes by and then yeah. you strap your feet to the plane yeah. and the plane takes off. Yeah, Velcro. Whoa, that's cool. That's that's different than acrobatics nowadays where kids are on dirt bikes doing wheelies and doing the like footwork stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The brothers did everything together. But like a lot of sibling relationships, the older of the two, Pedro, tended to do everything first. For example, at only eight years old, Pedro was the first of the two to start bicycle racing. Unfortunately for the jealous Ricardo, he was still too young to participate and had to watch on as his older brother competed in long-distance bike racing, cycling, as they call it today. (laughs) And only two years later, 10-year-old Pedro won the 1950 National Youth Cycling Championship for his age group. But Ricardo wasn't about to let his older brother soak up all the glory. So when he was old enough, he too got into bicycle racing. And like Pedro, he became a champion in his age group. These guys love 
to pedal fast. They love pedaling those pedally legs. I always wish I had like a brother to like push me and mm-hmm. be none of us have because... brothers, do we? No, no. except no. each other. That's true. Oh, we get to choose our family. Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted a younger brother so I could show him the ways of being, uh, you know, a mm-hmm. little deviant. Dude, I <laughs> would have loved to be, have been your younger brother. Dude, I would have loved for you to be my little brother. We would have gotten to all sorts of shenanigans. Isn't Joe older than you? <laughs> Are you? I think yeah, so. I think so. 86? <laughs> I would have loved that. Yeah, 86 or 87. I was, I was, my birthday, for everyone cares, December 29th, 2001. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep right. that bit going While Ricardo was winning his own bicycle championships Pedro had graduated to racing motorbikes He won two back-to-back Mexican motorcycle championships In the 125cc class Once again, Ricardo followed in his brother's footsteps And also won two national motorcycle championships oh, Man, this Come is on, when motorcycles too Were really hard to rip And they like like you crashed them, you're pretty much done. Oh. Uh, so that's impressive. Any of these old guys who win national championships on motorcycles back in that time period are like legit crazy people. How does an older <laughs> bike make it easier to die though? Not die. I mean, the bike will like the <laughs> oh. like for instance, like they all had steel handlebar. Mm-hmm. Just like if you look at an old bike, you look at it they're and just it's a like, lot heavier. A lot heavier. The ergonomics just, aren't quite as good. Right. And they just kind of get beat up more. You gotcha. know, like steel handlebars I will see. bend and gotcha. You know, you know and, okay. And it's just they're just like harder to ride. It's kind of crazy. Gotcha. Some of these bikes you even had to adjust the timing while you were riding. That's insane. So you had throttle timing. What? You're, yeah, you're doing multiple throttle Jeez. inputs. So yeah, uh Ricardo's following in his brother's footsteps would be a consistent occurrence throughout the Rodriguez brothers' lives. If Pedro won something, then Ricardo had to do it too. On the flip side, if Ricardo said he wanted to do something, Pedro would make it his life goal to do it first. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> this rivalry born in childhood would be the driving competitive force for their entire lives. As we mentioned, the brother's father, Pedro Sr., was a lifelong motorcycle lover. So he not only encouraged the boy's racing career, but funded it. Pedro Sr. was a millionaire businessman and the head of motorcycle police in Mexico City. What? What? Wait. How is that? A conflict of interest much, maybe? Nah, it's fine. (laughs) I mean, if you look at Mexico now, this is like dropping the bucket. (laughs) This was a huge benefit to the brothers as they could focus on racing and never get pulled over for speeding. Yeah, that's pretty nice. As the two continued to compete into their early teens, younger brother Ricardo began to pull ahead of Pedro, and he was beginning to turn quite a few heads because he was also very handsome. (laughs) (laughs) He had a sick-ass jawline. They called him El Guapo. El Guapo. Ricardo Rodriguez had something special, or perhaps it was more that he was missing something important, fear. Even though calling someone fearless is a cliche used to describe a lot of drivers, it's really only applicable to a select few, and Ricardo Rodriguez is one of them. Ricardo also sincerely believed that he could beat anybody. As if to prove it, at only 15 years old, he applied to drive in the 1956 Le Mans 24-hour race. But there were two problems. One, the minimum age requirement was 18. And two, Ricardo didn't race cars. He raced motorcycles. So he was denied entry. So he put two motorcycles together with a park bench in between them. 
Oh, oh it's two like, motorcycles with a car in the middle? I mean, uh, a house in the middle? A house in the middle? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, but it, I would say if you can race a motorcycle, you can race a car. P- possibly easier. I Every time we go out to the track uh, with you, Jerry, and you just go out there and tear it up, I have to remind myself that you do bikes, and bikes are a lot scarier, so I think that helps you bridge that gap a lot. I do more. think so, too. I think yeah. the fear... Uh, I have less fear in a car because yeah. in a motorcycle you have nothing around you. At least a car you got a cage. Yeah, you don't even have cup holders on a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Since Lamont required him to have experience in racing cars, Ricardo quit racing motorcycles and moved on to domestic saloon car racing, which he was immediately good at. Still funded by his father, Ricardo started out driving a Fiat Topolino, an Oscar fifteen hundred, and a Porsche five fifty RS. Oh, that's sick. In his first season of challenging off-road mountain courses, he finished third overall at only 15 Dang, years old. Dang, it's a natural, dude. Dang, that's killing it. And as a result, Ricardo was immediately invited to join the North American racing team alongside his brother, Pedro. Nice. Getting called up. Getting so called Pedro up. got uh, grand, uh, big brothered in? <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he got big brothered in. In 1957, Ricardo, still at just 15 years old, was accepted to his first international sports car race in Riverside, California, which he won in a Porsche RS. That's huge. Yeah. Anytime you win a race is pretty huge, and then win your first first one, that's like, hey, I'm coming. Yeah. Yeah. I'm coming. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) This is Pedro. (laughs) (laughs) So this this shocked the community. Ricardo wasn't even old enough to legally drive in the U.S. Though he impressed many at the race that day, one specific person stood out, and that was Carol Shelby. The creator of Chili. <laughs> After the race, Shelby said, Rodriguez is great and cool as a cucumber at all times. He has a certain driving finesse, which makes Juan Manuel Fangio the champion that he is. <laughs> That's how he would say it, huh? Probably. <laughs> After Riverside, Ricardo was invited to race in Nassau, Bahamas at the Nassau Tourist Trophy. What? Driving a Porsche Spider alongside legends like Sterling Moss, John Fitch, and Richie Ginther. He's only 15 at this Richie point? Richie Ginth, baby! Yeah. Dude, Dude, go to the Bahamas. Also, that race was known for like, like the, I don't know if you've ever seen old clips of the Nassau race. No. It's pretty sick. It's like... Is it sand? No, I mean, it's just you're in the Bahamas and everyone's down there. It's like a good time. Yeah. You know, and to be 15 and be down there would be probably a friggin' uh, trip. Be a yeah. hoot and a half. Be a hoot, yeah. And while he was there, he gave them a run for their money. To take the world by storm is another cliche we toss around to describe young drivers. But once again, that cliche fits Ricardo's journey perfectly. The buzz around Ricardo or El Chamaco, El Chamaco. El Chamaco. El Termaco. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the buzz around Ricardo or El Chermaco. <laughs> Why are you putting an R in there? Ch- ch- chamaco, chamaco. Chamaco. Chamaco or El Chamaco had become ubiquitous in the motorsports world. Car owners, fans, and journalists were all shocked by his talent, not only because of his skills, which were obviously advanced, but his fearlessness as well. Ricardo would regularly try risky maneuvers that would make the knuckles of the most experienced drivers white. And he did it all with an ease and a smile that made it seem like he knew something that nobody else did. But not everybody was convinced that his radical fearlessness was a benefit to him. 
There were plenty of veteran drivers that felt he was foolhardy and were concerned about his safety. They had been in enough races and seen enough crashes to understand how dangerous racing really is. And for them, fear wasn't something to be ignored. It was something to use as a tool to stay alive. Because sometimes those fearless drivers can put themselves in situations their instincts weren't prepared for. I think that's kind of an, uh, a trait that comes with being like a young racer yeah. surrounded by a lot of veterans. Like we saw the same thing when Max Verstappen first stepped into Formula One mm -hmm. at uh, Toro Rosso. Uh, I mean, this he was just doing the craziest moves yeah. until very recently. I'd say until like 2021 or so. Verstappen had a bad reputation for being like one of the most reckless guys out there. Uh, now he's more experienced. We don't really see that recklessness anymore. One, because his car's at the front of the pack, so he doesn't have chances to pull yeah. moves on anybody. But uh, yeah, I think that's just part of being young. You know, just... Like, this guy's still, like, 15, 16. He still feels, like, invincible. You right. know, he's still yeah. a kid. Yeah. Right. People usually get cocky and then just overestimate something at some point, crash, and then they get the fear in them. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the crash that creates that fear, yeah. and then that brings you back. You it's know? like when you are a little smart-talking kid, and then you get punched in the face for the first time, you're like, oh, there oh. are consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I would say that, there are certain people, though, and as we learn about these these guys, I'd be curious to see. Because guys like Travis Pastrana. I was going to say, that he seems like a Travi P kind of yeah, kid. Yeah, Travi P, where that guy just doesn't have the fear gene. He's yeah. not in his DNA, you know? And yeah. maybe it is. It's just he doesn't show it at all because he does some wild stuff. So curious to see where this guy goes. Do you think um, psychopaths are good at motorsport? I'm know, pretty man. amazing at it. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like you have to have like a disregard of other people's health uh, to even try some of the stuff that like Max was doing. I'm not saying he's a psychopath. But do uh, psychopaths not care about their own well-being? I would think they do, right? Yeah. I think it's just part of the being young and not understanding that in your brain is things not have consequences yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 like new research is showing that the male brain isn't fully formed until 50 <laughs> 60 years old so it takes a long time it just keeps growing <laughs> it just keeps it just bigger. keeps expanding why yeah. do you think old guys ears are so big because yeah. the, <laughs> the brain is filling into those pockets <laughs> yeah exactly the, there's more space between the neurons uh-huh you didn't think I knew that word, did you, Jerry? No, I knew. <laughs> I, dude, you said neurons so good. Almost as good as I said, El Camaco. You <laughs> <laughs> said it worse. Ch 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 chamaco. Chamaco. All right. We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. While Ricardo was talked about as a future champion, his older brother Pedro was 18 and fresh out of military school, as well as on a driving hiatus. Always the more, what happened there? <laughs> they don't uh, let you drive in military school. No. You just got to do push-ups. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, get nice uh, uh, triceps. He couldn't drive. He forgot how to drive a car, but his pecs were yeah. tied. <laughs> Always the more reserved and calculated of the two, Pedro left military school unconvinced that he wanted to be a race car driver full-time, but he couldn't stand to see his little brother soaking up so much of the glory. One thing Pedro did have over Ricardo was his age. He was two years older, which meant he could do certain things that Ricardo couldn't, like buy cigarettes and <laughs> enter the 24 hours of Le Mans. So, in 1958, 18-year-old Pedro entered into the race in a 500TR alongside Jose Berra. Though they didn't finish due to a radiator hose puncture, he still got the brotherly bragging rights, and more importantly, he finally got to show those European drivers that he was able to compete at their level. The Rodriguez brothers always had a chip on their shoulder when it came to Europeans. Even though they grew up as elites in Mexico, the brothers weren't as well-respected as their European counterparts in either racing or social hierarchy. The resentment and pain brought on by European colonization was carried around like a heavy coat by many in the global south, so understandably, few things stirred the brothers' spirits like the prospects of showing that they could drive just as well as the Europeans. Some European snobbery, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They want to show those guys, hey, we can, we're, we're rich Mexicans. We can beat rich Europeans, no problem. <laughs> yeah. While Pedro was off driving in Europe, Ricardo continued his rapid ascension into stardom. If he wasn't winning the events he raced in, he was finishing on the podium. And thanks to his early driving experiences, Ricardo was known as a flexible driver, as he effortlessly switched from one car to another. For example, he drove his Oscar S950 at Sebring, won in Lyon, Mexico in his Porsche RS, and drove both the Dino 196S and Testarossa 250 to podium finishes again at Nassau. Dude, Nassau. Nassau. Dude, it's Nassau, dude. <laughs> it's like that racing organization, Nassau. Nassau. <laughs> Dude, and they put up, they put something in space. Now all. <laughs> <laughs> then Ricardo finally turned 18 and joined his brother in Europe to tackle his white whale, Le Mans. The two raced an Oscar in the 750cc class, but were unable to complete the race. Then in 1960, Ricardo finally got his time to shine when he drove a Ferrari 250TR5960, a lot of numbers and letters, alongside driver Andre Pellet for North American racing team. Nor after years of rejection, Ricardo turned his lifetime frustration into a second place overall. Just a lifetime of frustration at 18. Yeah. You know? Dude, take a chill out, dude. You get to break, race man. for a Relax, living. You, little you have a kid. safety net, dude. Come on. Yeah, yeah your dad's a cop. Yeah, a and a businessman. <laughs> My dad wants We to want more cop businessmen. That's yeah. what we need. Right. Yeah. That's the problem with our society. We don't have more millionaire cops running around. Yeah. My dad wants me to take over <laughs> his head police motorcycle man. 
With a cocky grin and Mexico written on electrical tape behind his head restraint, Ricardo became the youngest person in Le Mans' 50-year history to take the podium at 18 years That's and 133 crazy. days Well, old. you know, you got you got the stamina to stay up for 24 hours when yeah. you're 18. Yeah. In 1960 and 61, the Rodriguez brothers drove in Formula One's minor league of sorts, Formula Junior. It's like MasterChef Junior, but faster. <laughs> oh, now I get it. Yeah. But despite driving in the same league, the brothers were in very different places in their careers. Ricardo was the sport's fastest rising star, while the older Pedro was still not sure if he wanted to commit to racing. Like his father, Pedro had an interest in business and had started a car import enterprise in Mexico City that was going very well. But he wasn't ready to walk away from the track. It didn't take long for Formula One to notice Ricardo's talent. Ferrari invited him to drive in the 1961 Italian Grand Prix at Monza to see how he would do against the world's best. Wow. Before the race even started, he put on a dazzling performance in the qualifications, finishing second to Formula One world champion Wolfgang von Trips by just 0 0.01 Damn. seconds. Wow. One one hundredth of a second? That's crazy. That yeah. is crazy. Also, I've been reading a lot about Wolfgang von Trips, and he's an interesting character as well. Surprisingly, another rich guy. <laughs> huh. Yeah, it's weird how all That's these guys weird. who race cars are just richos. <laughs> Uh, Von Trips was so impressed that he took Ricardo aside and for hours sh showered him. <laughs> <laughs> Keep reading. <laughs> Interesting place to pause, Jeremiah. With praise as well as with advice. It was a rare gesture for a European veteran champion driver to give so much attention to a teenager. <laughs> Keep reading, dude. Driver from Mexico. You're going to get us canceled on your first episode. <laughs> My first read-through episode? Yeah. Usually I just do color commentary, but now that I got the keys to the wheel, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm living it up. <laughs> it was something Ricardo would never forget, and he would talk about it in therapy. <laughs> At just 19 years and 208 days old, Ricardo Rodriguez became the youngest person ever to drive in a Formula One race. Wow. And at the time, he was the youngest driver in history to start from the front row, a record he held until Max Verstappen took it at the 2016 Belgian Grand Prix. Ricardo continued to deliver on his promise and spent most of the race in the top three. Unfortunately, a fuel pump failure ended his race early. No, that's too bad. Oh, man, mechanical. What a bummer. Not his fault. Not his fault. In most cases, such a dominant performance in a young driver's first race would have been a big story of the day. Unfortunately, Formula One champion Wolfgang von Trips, the man who had been so kind to Ricardo, would perish in an awful accident that also killed 14 spectators. Oh, man. The experience was traumatizing for Ricardo, who had never experienced such a devastating accident. It was a sobering moment for the 19-year-old. Yeah, we also talked about this accident in the Jim Clark episode, so that's kind of where these yeah. stories intertwine. Yeah. Everyone is a very small world back then. Also at 19 and, like... I guess like that hitting you and like the gravity of the situation because mm -hmm. yeah. like you it's one thing to be a race car driver and race with other people who know like you can get hurt yeah it's another thing to like kill people watching yeah you yes. know like that's like a huge I'm sure like burden on oh yeah on these guys so and I think uh Wolfgang was like 31 at that point too so mm -hmm. he was like had only been in it for a couple of years at that point and just still very young mm-hmm 
After losing their champion and witnessing Ricardo's performance during the first Grand Prix, Ferrari decided he was worth investing in. They signed him to drive in the 1962 season, which made him both the youngest driver and the first Mexican driver in F1 history. Sweet. The fact that he did it before his older brother Pedro made his victory even sweeter. Ricardo would be named Mexico's Athlete of the Year and appear on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine with the headline, Mexico's Young Fireball. Wow, he's just really soaking in all that (laughs) shower of praise. (laughs) Yeah. My cousins are two years apart, uh, and I don't think I've ever seen a more fierce rivalry. That's like the perfect rivalry age for siblings. Two years, yeah. yeah. My sister's two years older than me, and for a long time, all I wanted to do was just be better at her than everything she did. Mm -hmm. She was was good at stuff that I was real bad at. Nolan, have you seen his sister ride a horse? (laughs) No. She rides it like a motorcycle. (laughs) What? Insane. That is crazy. She takes these tiny, tight turns and, like, puts her knee down, and (laughs) it looks insane, dude. Wow. Puts knee down on a horse. That's that's crazy. She barrel races horses. Does she actually? Yeah. Yeah. She's like a real cowgirl. And I'm a real motorcycle boy, so we really butt heads. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, car guys are the horse girls. That's right. Guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Put that on a sticker. Ricardo had a great rookie season as he became the youngest driver to score points in a Formula One event. However, he never finished higher than fourth and sometimes struggled to finish at all. Regardless, the future was still very bright for the kid. The kid. El Nino. <laughs> El Chamaco. Despite this bright future, there was a growing angst surrounding the young phenom, both in the racing world and at Ferrari internally. People were worried that Ricardo's fearless nature was a liability to himself. Fellow driver Graham Hill told a newspaper, I like Ricardo and I think he has tremendous talent, but if he lives, I'll be surprised. Jeez. Dang, dude, that's rough. Imagine reading that. I know. Imagine knowing how to read. <laughs> Yeah, most of you guys don't know this. A little insider information. Christina reads to Nolan on the headphones, and <laughs> yeah. he just repeats what she yeah. says. Yeah. We call her Christina Reed Chi. <laughs> <laughs> and we call it getting ratatu- ratatouille. <laughs> <laughs> his own boss, Enzo Ferrari, even pulled him aside early in his first season and told him, Ricardo, I'll be frank with you. You'll only be a great racer you want to be if you learn control. If not, I'm not sure how much longer your talent for improvisation will save you. Ricardo just smiled as if he knew something that Enzo didn't. He thanked him for his advice and moved he thanked him for his advice and moved on. And then Enzo was like, Come into my lair for some <laughs> That's Russian. <laughs> You want the tortellini and the um, lambrusco? <laughs> and the brusco. Come down here. Let's uh, take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was so clean, dude, all yeah. the time. <laughs> Enzo didn't stop there. He believed, as he stated in his memoir, that Ricardo was driven by a dangerous eagerness and an intense and blind ambition that was being encouraged by his family, particularly his father. Hmm. That kind of makes sense. Mm. Mm, Sounds like we're stopping a little bit Mm. with his weird dad that cracks the whip. Mm -hmm. So he wrote Ricardo's father a personal letter. Ricardo's a wild guy who races with a frightening lack of restraint and an excess of physical energy without compare. I think that if this youngster learns to contain his impetuosity and refines his driving style, he can be very successful. I understand that his desire to win devoured him. 
It was a noble ambition, but it laid dangerously in wait for him. Wow. Damn, that is a serious letter. Yeah. A lot of words that I would never string together. Impetuosity. Yeah, this this isn't even his first language. Right. One would think that a personal letter from the founder of Ferrari would compel <laughs> Pedro Sr. to act, but Pedro Sr. was perhaps wrangling with his own unbridled ambitions to truly comprehend the situation. Like his sons, Pedro's career was also flourishing. Already a wealthy businessman, he had strategically maneuvered his way up the chain of power in Mexican national politics to become a trusted advisor to the president of Mexico, Adolfo Lopez Mateos. And because his son had become a national hero, he was able to convince the president to build the necessary infrastructure to bring Formula One racing to the country. Well, so he's got a vested interest in keeping his son in the F1. He's wheeling and dealing. Yeah. A speedway was built in Mexico City, and the stage was set for the first ever Mexican Grand Prix on November 4th, 1962. Pedro Sr. wanted his son Ricardo to be there front and center for the world to see his talents, no matter what Enzo Ferrari had to say about it. I don't know why you can't have both. Like, hey, just tell your son, like, there, you got to, you know, be reasonable in some of these. I'm, I, I'm guessing he must, if, if. Enzo is saying that this guy must be like racing like an absolute. Yeah, crazy because person. Enzo didn't give a shit about his drivers. Like right. I'm reading this book, The Limit, uh-huh. and he, you know, anytime his drivers would die, he would do this big song and dance, and he would open his windows uh, on his, you know, his apartment overlooking the Ferrari factory, and he would like cry loud enough for everyone to hear him, and he would mope around in his his bathrobe for a couple of days, but he would never go to a funeral. He would send his wife to the funerals. And then he would be more pissed that they wrecked his car. Mm-hmm. So was he crying for the car? I mean, he had to make a show because like every time there's a big crash, like the one uh, where Wolfgang died, mm-hmm. uh, the country that it happened in and like Italy and the Pope were all like, let's ban this. Shit. Like oh, everyone's right, dying. Yeah. Like this is way too dangerous. And so he had to make a show of it that he was like torn up about it. But, you know, like, oh, but. You know, work has to go on. Mm, uh, it's very like um, produced. Yeah, it was, a, it was the theater. Yes, a lot of theatrics with his remorse and sadness. Yeah. So he, I mean, this is, but that's just to say that like, this must be a serious situation. Yeah. Or he didn't get his money's worth from this kid, and he's worried about his investment in him. Sure, you know? that would make sense. Like, hey, I gotta have this kid for a couple more years. Yeah, him dead doesn't do me. He's any gotta good. pay off all those crash cars <laughs> that he's. <laughs> yeah. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. Ricardo was so excited to participate in the first ever Mexican Grand Prix that he didn't even care that Ferrari wasn't going to be involved. After a rough year, the company decided not to spend money on a non-championship event held at the newly built facility. So, Ricardo and his brother both hopped in with Lotus for the race. The Lotus 24 was a car Ricardo was unfamiliar with, but he had driven enough cars that it gave him no pause. I'm getting a bad feeling about this. Ricardo put on a spectacle during the opening round practice on the newly built racetrack called Magdalena Mixuca, just days before the race. Each run he did was better than each run he did was better than the last, and when he finally fin- each session he did was better than the last, and when he finally finished, Ricardo was overflowing with confidence. That was until European drivers John Surtees took his round. On his first practice run, 
he bested Ricardo's time, unable to stand the idea of a European having the fastest lap in his country. Ricardo hopped back into the Lotus for one final practice session. Uh-oh. little foreboding. Nobody is truly sure what happened. Some witnesses believe there was a malfunction with the car's right rear suspension. Others claim it was the newly built and not well-maintained speedway, or Ricardo's unfamiliarity with the Lotus's oversteer compared to the Ferrari's understeer. Regardless of the cause, the effect was tragic. Ricardo would lose control of the Lotus and was sent off the track. He died instantly. The death set off a national mourning in Mexico, and the racing world was crushed, but even more tragically, not surprised. Many had predicted this outcome for the fearless youngster, but to have it take place in Mexico City days before the first Mexican Grand Prix, an event he had advocated for his whole life, was a darkly ironic and twisted fate. Ricardo was only 20 years old. Yeesh. Nobody was more devastated than his brother, who not only dropped out of the Mexican Grand Prix, but retired from racing on the spot. From that day forth, he always wore Ricardo's favorite ring on his finger wherever he went. He claimed, quote, as long as I wear that ring, I will never suffer anything. Oh, my gosh. It's heartbreaking. That, that's really sad, dude. Yeah. Pedro's retirement from racing didn't last very long. Damn it. <laughs> Perhaps being away for almost a year made him realize he missed it too much. Or it could have been that driving cars helped him feel closer to his brother. Regardless, by the end of 1963, he was back in a race car. Pedro won the Daytona Continental in a 250 GTO with the North American racing team and came in third at Sebring in a 300 TRLM, driving alongside Graham Hill. Mm. He also made his Grand Prix debut, competing in the USA and Mexico for Lotus. It was around this time Pedro decided to do something he had never done before, commit to racing full-time. No more car import business. He was going to do it just like his brother did and give his racing career everything he had. While Ricardo had been the racing prodigy and the young media darling, Pedro was considered to be more of a late bloomer. He didn't have Ricardo's chest-clutching fearlessness, but he did have something that Ricardo lacked, elite car control. While Ricardo thought a car's limitations were only in the driver's mind, Pedro knew that the man and the machine would have to harmonize together. He had gotten so good at steering his vehicle that bad weather started to become an advantage for him. Ooh. They do say that rain is a great equalizer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it makes everyone spin off the track <laughs> equally. Over the course of the next few years, Pedro would drive sporadically for different Formula One constructors like Lotus and Ferrari and various Grand Prix. Pedro was the first person they'd call if they needed a driver on a wet track. Then in 1967, everything changed when he was offered a seat with Cooper for the season opening South African Grand Prix. Pedro qualified fourth, and then, to the surprise of many, he won the Grand Prix. Pedro Rodriguez accomplished something that his younger brother was never able to do, and that was become the first Mexican driver to win an F1 event. Wow. What year was that? 1967? Yeah, 6-7. As a result, Pedro earned a full-time drive with Cooper for the remainder of the season. Pedro was a mainstay in the sport for the next four seasons, driving predominantly for BRM, but sometimes for Ferrari. However, it wasn't until the 1970 Belgium Grand Prix that he was able to win a championship race once more. Then, on July 11, 1970, tragedy struck. 
Pedro was driving for Herbert Muller Racing when trackside photographers noticed his right front tire was coming away under heavy braking at a sharp S bend. By lap 12, the tire came off completely and sent his Ferrari 512M into a wall before it rebounded across the track and caught fire. The 31-year-old Pedro Rodriguez died from his injuries on his way to the hospital. Ugh. There's an eerie addendum to this tragic story. Just days before his crash, Pedro had accidentally lost his brother's ring while washing his hands. He always believed in the superstition surrounding the ring and that as long as he wore it, he would be safe. After Pedro's death, the name of the Mexico City Speedway was changed to Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, the Rodriguez Brothers Racetrack, a gesture that guarantees that the trailblazing brothers and their sacrifices would never be forgotten. Wow. Damn, dude. That's so sad, man. Dang. Dude, that is sad and eerie. Uh, and still, dude, young, 31. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People who are the first or the best to do something are the ones that get talked about the most, but rarely are the first and the best part of the same story. Typically, the person who does it first paves the way for the person who does it better. That's a lot to wrap your head around. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded really good, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the story of both Rodriguez brothers, there will always be a what if attached to their legacies. What if they had lived to experience a full and complete career in Formula One? It's entirely possible that both brothers had the potential to not only be first, but the best. But one thing is certain, their careers are something to be celebrated as they pave the way for many behind them. You know, this story, I was thinking about this as we were going through, it's America and usually like Britain and a little bit more of Europe kind of set the tone for pop culture mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> sometimes history in a way, I think, like set the course for things to happen. So this story, I think, really helped me appreciate like what a big deal it is for such a huge Eurocentric or American centric series like Formula One to come to a country like Mexico, if yeah, that makes sense. Right, like yeah. the huge deal. Yeah. An event coming to a country that's normally not in the conversation at first. And you saw it and last how cool year, that must feel. Or you saw it in the last couple of years when like Perez uh went to the Mexican Grand Prix and like the Mexican fans are just like mm -hmm. bout it, bout it, like mm -hmm. screaming, uh No limit social style. Yeah. Make Master P, say, ah. Yeah. Mysticals like uh, sitting on top of the uh, the rim <laughs> on the backboard. Uh-huh. Uh yeah. just I don't know. What a great story. And uh, looking forward to the Mexican Grand Prix this year for sure. It'd be great to go down there, dude. Ugh, oh, awesome. it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, Joby went down there. With Joby. Felipe somehow always worms his way in and I can never get my ticket. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Felipe, go tell him, hey, I heard you wormed your way yeah. into another F1 event. It's like doing marketing for recurrent now. Somehow it gets to go on these things. Yeah, that's how it works, <laughs> that's man. That's how it works, baby. Anyway, uh, we got some listener mail this week. Greetings from Finland. Thanks for the great podcast. I listen to it on my daily commute uh, and on work trips around Finland. Makes the time fly by while being behind the wheel on these dull Finnish motorways. Man, I bet they're kind of cool out there. No, I played my summer car. They are pretty dull. Oh, okay. I would like to hear more stories about Finnish F1 and rally superstars! Exclamation mark. You already made a Kimberly Raikkonen podcast, and I enjoyed it very finishedly. Being a small, alcoholic, insecure, and highly <laughs> controlled country when it comes to driving and cars, this would be a nice topic for you guys to investigate. 
It's driving fast in our DNA or something the Finns learn for some more specific reasons. I've always wondered that. Why there's so many, like, Finnish rally drivers in there? Well, because they, they grow up on icy roads and they got to learn how to But why not well. Sweden? Because the Swedes are just chilling there in Stockholm. Different cultures. Making really good metal, you know, metal music. Way to boil down a whole country. <laughs> Am I wrong? Well, Opeth from you Sweden? boiled the country down like well, a nice lingonberry jam, dude. <laughs> All the best, guys. Keep up the good work. Vil from Vanta. Thank you very much for the email there. Yeah, we can definitely uh, do some more Finnish stuff. Make us pronounce some crazy-ass names, I yeah. say. If you want to get in touch with the show, hit us up at com. And maybe we'll read it on the air. Jer, thanks Jer. so much for stepping in. Guys, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me read along. Yeah. That was you did fun. great. Thanks. You did a great, great yeah. job, Jerry. You're, the, great you're the donuts LeVar Burton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Who's LeVar Burton? <laughs> They're reading Rainbow. A reading Rainbow. Rainbow. Yeah, I love that. Butterfly in the sky. I can fly twice as high. Take a look, look inside the book. It's reading Rainbow. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, I hope to do more of you these. You can guys uh, follow Jerry on all social media at Jeremiah Burton. Follow me at Jeremiah Burton. And follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. That's it. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Big thank you to our producers this week, Christina Felski and Gavin Kinzel, and our, and our writer, writer, James, James Mastriani. <laughs> also, big shout out to Eddie Esparza in the stew. Yeah. And Gio Musso. Moose. Gio Musso. Uh, see you next time, guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> the record slowing effect. <laughs> <laughs>